Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new release today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Today with John Mays, the VP of A&R of Centricity Music, CentricityMusic.com. John, thank you so much for being here today, man. Man, I'm glad to get to do this, spend this time with you. Yeah, for sure. And so I, I connected with you uh, uh, recently and, and sent an email. In that email, I told you, I said, my first recollection of Centricity, and I hope I don't get her name wrong, goes all the way back to an artist you guys signed at the very beginning called Lene Hale. Is that right? Did I say that right? Lene, Lene, Lene Hale. Hale. So I was um, I was a campus minister uh, or pastor at a uh, on a college campus of, of organization, and you guys sent out uh, a press kit, um, you know, <laughs> trying to book her and all these things. And and I said, and I was in a band at the time. I was like, centricity. This sounds interesting. And so uh, so I go back, man. I go back with you guys to the beginning, and we didn't even know it. <laughs> well, that is quite. I don't think it's the beginning, but it's quite a ways back, and. Uh, you know, when you mentioned her name, it's just a little twinge of, uh, well, I guess we'll get into this, but in the work that I do, there's always these people in your story that you have such high belief in and you wish the rest of the world would believe the way you do or see what you're seeing, you know, and she was one we could never get the, we could never get the ball rolling or get some traction on her. But I, uh, if anybody, uh, Here's this, and here's her name, and she's still got music out, but you should go check her out. She's such a gifted uh, gal and lives here in, in Nashville. Yeah, check it. We'll plug her. You know, maybe, maybe this will be the thing yeah, that gets her yeah. over the hump, John. You know. <laughs> now, now you're you're originally from Andrews, Texas, and so I looked that up. Yes, you can't get there from here, man. That's way on the <laughs> west side of Texas. How did you get all the way from the west side of Texas near New Mexico yeah. to Nashville? What was that journey like? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's 18 hours from hmm. Nashville here. So, And I've driven it many times. Still have family out there. And uh, anybody that knows me knows I'm sort of gross about still being a Texan even though I've lived in, in Tennessee longer than I ever lived in, in Texas. It's where I grew up, and native Texans are just kind of that way. We're just kind of dumb about um, our loyalty to Texas, you know. But I grew up in a little uh, Pentecostal church uh, out there, maybe maybe 200 people in that church. And, and, if anybody, and Pentecostal is different than charismatic, even though sometimes they get confused, but Pentecostal is a little more <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> and they uh and musically they rock a little harder so there's there's a lot of gospel influence in a, in a pentecostal church so uh, you know I, I at an early age i don't know seven or eight years old uh, began to discover some musical ability that i had to be able to you know pick up instruments and play by ear and things like that and that little church just really nurtured that in me uh it, 
you know, anybody that can play anything was welcome to play at church. And that included me, and I'm sure it was terrible, but uh, they were just, uh, you know, I remember the pastor played guitar, and he encouraged me in my guitar playing, and I would play bass and drums and different things. So uh, I, I'm I'm grateful that I kind of, they, they needed somebody, you know, like me, uh, and I needed to be needed. I think mm-hmm. if I had grown up around some actual good musicians, I don't know that I would have continued to pursue it because I, I'm sure I was terrible at it. <laughs> but because of their little, uh, the, the, the small size of it all and their just generosity of encouragement toward me, I just kept making music. And uh, that led to being in bands, you know, around home. There was actually a, a band we started out of Andrews and we would play around. It's just oil field country out there. We mm-hmm. play around little churches, uh, some of the bigger towns. And this is going to be hilarious because nobody's ever heard of these either, but Midland and Odessa, Texas, yeah. uh, they had, you know, they were towns of a hundred thousand or so. And so there were churches you could play in there. But uh, my folks let me go to a music school in Dallas, uh, my sophomore year of high school, it was called the Stamps Blackwood School of Music, and it was at uh, a, an Assembly of God college called in Waxahachie, Texas, actually. So it was, uh, you know, you could do private instruction and um, uh, go to, I think they had classes on songwriting and things like that. And gosh, Austin, I, I went to that, and it was the first time I felt like I belonged somewhere, like I, it was my tribe, you know. There were just mm. people like me all around at this school, people who would rather, uh, you know, play music than eat, which ended up being prophetic. Uh, that's exactly what happened. But uh, <laughs> I, I met some I met some guys from Nacogdoches, Texas, which if anyone knows Texas geography, that's across the state. It's all the way from the west to the, all the way to the east. And uh, they were a year ahead of me in high school, but we just were like, Okay, when we graduate high school, we're going to start a band. Right. And uh, I, I graduated high school uh, in May of 74. And uh, I think one month later, drove everything I had to Nacogdoches, Texas. And uh, they had already kind of been gigging around a little bit with their little band. And I just kind of joined up with them. So, sorry. This no, it's great. No, it's great. Now, but, but I'm. Obviously, if I graduated in 74, I'm an old guy, so there's a lot going on here. But uh, that band uh, was a, a little bit of a higher level than what I had back home, but not much. I mean, we, we at least would play some, uh, you know, uh, weddings and uh, a club here or there where we would do covers and uh, churches, anything we could get. But uh, there was a like a state fair thing or maybe a county fair and we opened for a, a group called the spear family who was out of nashville they were sort of in the southern gospel tradition but a little more uh like they could read music and were, were uh, they they were actually good musicians and that night after we played that gig uh one of the guys came up and said that their bass player was leaving and would i want to come audition for their bass player position 
And this had been about two years that I'd been living in Nacogdoches just trying to gig around with this band, and it had not gone well. I mean, we we literally did go hungry. There would be days that we wouldn't eat. It's just because we didn't have any money, you know, to mm-hmm. pay for food. And one of the guys' family lived in that town, and her, his mom would feed us sometimes. But, uh, you know, when you're a rock star musician, you don't want to admit that you don't have any money, right? <laughs> right. Especially when you're 18, because you got to be cool above all. So uh, uh, I I thought, well, okay, this is me. My dad had always said, you know, I can, I don't want you to work in the oil field, but that's what everybody does out there. And I can get you a job in the oil field if if you want to come back home. So I just thought, well, how many people are going to audition for that job in Nashville? I'm, I'm sure I'm not as good a player as lots of guys that they'll audition. But I thought, I'll go do that. I can say, uh, I went to Nashville. I can say I had a professional audition, and that's kind of a neat way to close this chapter. And I'll just move back home and and find out what my life's going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, Austin, I got the job, which is a a complete miracle. Uh, and not only that, but I have to throw this in. Yeah. Uh, the night that the night that we opened for them, uh, I was dumbstruck by how beautiful one of the girls who were singing in that group was, and Part of my, uh, you know, again, going like, there's no way I'll get the job, but I might see that girl again. <laughs> so uh, I, she was not at the audition. But when I, of course, when I got the job uh, and we had our first rehearsal, I, I saw her again. So I got that job, which was actually the first time I ever actually got paid to, to play music. And I was 19 years old. And I, uh, I also met that girl and she has been my wife for 43 years now. Wow. So my, my life changed in, you know, in incredible ways just because uh, I I thought I'm just going to go do that audition and stop this music thing in my life. So it uh long story, but that's how I got to Nashville. I moved here in uh, November of 77 and, uh, you know, my life completely changed. I, I toured around with that group for, I think, four or five years, and then different uh, touring bands here in town and, and different kinds of music, but we can pick up on some of that later. But that's how I got here. Oh, I love it. And, and, and it's, it's pretty fascinating how God writes these stories, right? You know, you're ready to give oh, up. Oh my and, uh, and not only do you... Do you get to continue pursuing your dream, but you meet your wife in the process? It doesn't get much right. better than that, you know? I mean, that's the lottery right there. And that's if you right. ever met Diane, you would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, that that she would even look my way was kind of a uh, crazy thing. But yeah, God was incredibly gracious and showed me so much favor for a kid from Andrews, Texas, you know, for that to happen to. So I'm still grateful to this day. Again, we're here with John Mays, the VP of A&R of Centricity Music, of CentricityMusic.com. And so you're you're with this band, you're playing with them four or five years. Was your wife in with them the whole time as well? Yeah. Okay. She was kind of their lead singer. Okay. Uh, I mean, there were, there were four or five singers in that band, but she was kind of the lead one. And uh, I had gotten the urge along the way to try to pursue uh, session musicianship, which I don't know if your listeners would know, but that's, you know, there are guys who... Not so much anymore, but especially in that day, who were lived in town and only played on recordings. So they didn't travel around, but they just got hired for 
to play on other people's recordings. And used to, just about everybody's record was the band was hired guns. It wasn't necessarily the players that played in the, their band. And uh, I'd sort of gotten the Jones to try to pursue that. And obviously it was hard work to get, but I left before Diane did to pursue that. And so she was there, I think, seven years or so. And I was there probably about four or five. So when did you transition from, I guess, playing, um, touring, even session playing into the business side of things? Yeah, it's a great story because uh, I'm still friends with this guy today, but I I, I did eventually make my way into just being able to stay home and play on recordings. And that also sort of moved me into some uh, production and songwriting which I was trying to do more of. And uh, in that day, you know, you couldn't just make a record in your bedroom on your computer. You actually needed a studio and a, uh, a producer and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that that's eventually where things would lead for me. And there was a friend, I, I, well, I wouldn't have called him a friend at that time, but a, a producer in town who was doing a lot of Christian music in the eighties. Name's Neil Joseph. He's not in music anymore, but uh, he, had invited me to let him know of anything I was working on. And so I would, you know, as I would write or produce things, I would occasionally give him a recording and sometimes he'd give me some feedback. that was really helpful. And well, uh, Neil, and I also played based on some things that he was uh, producing, you know, some of those CCM uh, bands of the eighties that he was doing back then. So we, we had a bit of a relationship that was more than just uh you know, uh, a producer and a musician. We had become friends a bit through all that. So he wanted to take me to breakfast one morning and uh, he was telling me what was going on in his life, which was he was not going to be doing as much producing because he had taken a job to run uh, Word Records in Nashville. Uh, They had been based in Texas for years. They had a publishing division in Nashville, but not a label division. They were moving to Nashville, and he was—he had been appointed to run it. He was telling me all this, and he said, uh, "And I'm going to need to hire an A&R person." This is 1987, uh, and he said, "I think you'd be good at it." And in my head, I didn't want to say this and be a fool, but I didn't even know what he was. I had heard the term, but I had no idea what he was talking about. So I'm just like, "Oh, okay." Um, and he talked a little bit more about what that would involve. And of course it was, uh, you know, by this time I'm 30, probably uh, I've actually never had a real job in my life. I've just played music my entire life, sometimes for money and sometimes not, but uh, I've never, you know, had a, a job where I went in every day and, and did the same thing. And uh, we had had our first daughter. So we, I was a new father and, you know, my life is changing in some ways that would encourage me, I think, to consider something more stable. And uh, just the timing seemed to be right. And I think Neil's belief in me that I could do it was helpful. And it seemed to be what God was saying in lots of different ways, you know, how that can work. Mm -hmm. So uh, I uh, accepted that job in uh i started in september of 87 as director of anr for the word label they actually had four labels and uh i took over two of them uh word and a label they had called uh canaan and then uh that started 
that job for me, and I'm still really doing that job 30-something years later. <laughs> uh, I, I've done it. I did it at Word for eight years and then moved to a label called Sparrow, was there for three, uh, became president of a label called Benson, but still just basically did all the A&R. And then uh, not long after that, that label closed down, and we can talk some about the circumstances around that if you want to. But then uh, that led to really the beginning conversations about centricity, and that was uh, like in 02 or 03. Uh, so, and that's what I do for centricity. Uh, you know, not exclusively, but I head up their A&R department, and uh, that, that's what Neil said I think you would be good at turned out, I guess, in some ways to be true, and I'm still doing it all these years later. Yeah, I want to explore that in a moment. Let me ask you this. A&R yeah. is a challenging um, field to stay in. How have you managed yeah. to stay in it for this I long? I don't know. <laughs> Often I have no idea. I guess just moving from label to label. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just run uh, fast enough. Run. Yeah, <laughs> obviously uh, there's uh, you know, the, the the way I guess good A&R is measured is if you sign things that become successful at some level. And I've managed to, by, by God's kindness, been able to do that at different places over the years. And uh, that I think has, well, uh, you know, John signed this and this and let's try to get him. So yeah. I think it's just been, it's, it's, crazy it's it's like baseball or something you know if you if you're batting and you get three hits out of 10 you're in the hall of fame you know and and a and r is kind of the same way like it's very much a one out of 10 i might sign 10 things and one of them work but just nobody talks about the other <laughs> the a and r person sure doesn't that's uh, right so um but if you if you can string together a few things that have done okay that you've signed, I think that gives you some reputation for, uh, you know, being competent at the at the job. And of course, there's so much that's beyond competency. It's so much about timing and luck and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit and all these different things that play into it. But over the years, I've managed to do that enough, I guess, that it's kept me in the role at different labels for so long and you're you're right i mean i just nobody does it for that long so i'm sort of an anomaly as i've aged to keep doing the same job but um, i love it and i feel like you know i, I had my, my first year of doing it of course was that year where i was doing a, a job for the first time in my life and i had an office and a desk and there were policies and culture and water cooler talk and all this stuff that i didn't know anything about uh, and Neil was very helpful to help me navigate that time. But he, you know, he helped me go in with my eyes open, like, you're not going to love everything about this. <laughs> and he was, he was right. And it took me about a year to adjust to all that and to realize, okay, this is kind of the way, if you want to get something done in a corporate environment, you sort of have to have, get, you know, move these puzzle pieces around. And I think it takes anybody a while to learn that, but I was just, 30 something already in, in my life. I was down the road by the time I got in that kind of situation. And uh, once I kind of got over that hump and uh, had a couple of moments, you know, that I, that I still, they're still very close to my heart. 
where I realized, okay, maybe I do have some gifting for this, and I really do love doing it. When it works, I really do love it. And uh, I, I can still say that, you know, this many years later. And, and generally, don't you think, like, if people love what they do, they're usually good at it, yeah. you, you know? Um, and uh, for whatever reason, that has propelled me along this many years. And now, as far as I know, I am by far the oldest person in this world who does this job. <laughs> uh, and, and certainly in Christian music, uh, I, I, you know, I am the... I don't know how much sage, uh, uh, how much of a sage I am, but I'm certainly the oldest person doing the job in our industry right now. Again, we're here with John Mays, VP of A and R of Centricity Music, CentricityMusic.com. John, do you remember the first artist you ever signed? Absolutely. Her name was Cindy Morgan. Oh wow! And she's still, yeah, still out there today, making great music. Such a gifted person and a and a beautiful friend. We still stay in touch. Now. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know how deep we want to go into this stuff or how much people would care about this. But uh, as an A&R person, especially as you move uh, between labels and when you're brought in new, uh, the new A&R person, you inherit a lot of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are already artists signed to that label that you didn't sign, but they're already there. And now it's your responsibility to help them get their records made. So I inherited quite a few things and went to work doing uh, records on those people. But in terms of something that was my own signing that I, you know, sort of discovered and nurtured along the way and got a first record out, that was Cindy. And uh, so, so satisfying, even to this day, to have been had any relationship with her and been any sort of part of her uh the gifting because she's just such a gracious and beautiful and talented lady. If people have never heard Cindy, they need to go right now and start streaming some of her music because it's great. Well, I don't want to date you or me in this in this part of the conversation too much. Well, hey, I've dated but, myself already. <laughs> but my first concert was Cindy Morgan. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. It was at well, a um it was at a in Memphis, which is where I'm from is shut down now for yeah. numerous reasons. There was a, um, there was, <laughs> there was a, uh, a theme park. So I guess you can call it that called Liberty land. And Cindy Morgan oh played God. this theme park, Liberty land. Um, and I was there. She was my very first concert. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> maybe around 90, maybe. No, no, she'd been going for a while. It would have been oh, probably okay. mid nineties. I was aware of her before then. Um, I remember yeah. uh, my brother or sister had her first album, I think, that she put out. And um, so I was aware of her. And so I was excited to see her because I'd heard her music. You did good. You did good. And, yeah, she's still around. Oh, like right. she'll, I'll still see her cross paths. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. She's very I mean, talented. Obviously, like any, like any good artist, her music has evolved sure. a, a lot over the years, thank God. <laughs> but uh, the, it, those first couple of records were very sort of Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. Mariah Carey pop, you know. And I, I, we laugh to this day because her first record, the title of it was Real Life. And she was so made up and glossy and artificial on the cover of that record. Like anything but real life was what we depicted on that uh, uh, album cover. But And she anyway, could not be more does. different now. She's much more a singer-songwriter now. And, and oh, yes. Very, she was always a great songwriter, but... Uh, just yeah, very folky, and uh, she's mm-hmm. involved in a lot of. Uh, she has this hymns for hunger thing where she'll just do 
her own versions of some classic hymns, and uh, she belongs to this ministry that helps raise money with those hymns for, uh, uh, you know, hunger causes. So she's still out there and doing fantastic. We we catch up three or four times a year. Oh, great. Um, John, is there an artist that you passed on that you still kick yourself over today? Oh, so many. <laughs> I know there's a ton. Is there one that, like, you just, every once in a while you just yeah, wake up and you think uh, about I mean, this person right here? Probably the most painful one is Mercy Me, because they just they just uh, crushed it for so many years, and uh, and I, I'm going to make it even worse uh, because a lot of your listeners will know the song that sort of introduced them was their song I Can Only Imagine, mm-hmm. and I just didn't I didn't love that song, <laughs> and everybody was talking about it. Everybody now it's a movie, you know, uh, and everybody was after them. And I just, uh, I just didn't hear it. And that happens sometimes. Uh, I think a little later after them was Casting Crowns, same kind of thing. I just didn't hear it and didn't go after it. Um, and, and in that case, I had met Mark Hall at an event. And Mark was coming to town to meet with me several times. And I, I did meet with him. He's a great guy. And, and obviously a developing songwriter. He had obviously some obvious gifting there, but just the band was like 15 people, you know, yeah. and it was what what was now kind of modern-day worship team, right? right? And uh, I'm like, I don't know what to do with that and all those people. And so uh, that's another one. Uh, gosh, I, you know, I don't know how much time we want to give to my failures, but there's a couple. <laughs> and, and it's such an unfair question because there's so many that I'm sure come across. And like you said, you're not going to bat a thousand. You know, you're just trying to, you're just trying to hit it well enough to stay in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to transition here to, to kind of where you are now with Centricity Music. Now, yeah. you said that, that Star Records, it shut down. And that's what led to uh, the conversations to beginning Centricity so, so what was that process like? Yeah, actually, it was Benson Records, and oh, and uh, Benson had been around. Uh, I think the year before they closed it, it was ninety nine years old. It was the lo- oh, wow. oldest active label in Nashville, and it had started as a publishing company by the Benson family. And at at one time, in fact, when I moved to town in the late seventies, it was the Christian music record label and was that for years and years. But, uh, the, the family had sold it and it, it had been bought and sold many times, but, uh, that the closing down was, uh, part of not only because of but a big piece of the reason was in, uh, well, 99 is when, uh, Napster came along and some of your listeners might remember Napster. It was the first basically first digital downloading service that was some brilliant guy named Sean Fanning and some software he developed uh, that the music industry uh, put out of business because, you know, Sean had this, what was now we all know was a fantastic idea that uh, didn't provide any means for payment. Like, so if you, you go on Napster and you download your favorite song or a new song, well, because there was no means, uh, you know, no economic stream for this, for the service, uh, the artist doesn't get paid, the, the writer doesn't get paid, obviously the label, the publisher, the producer, the songwriters, there's a, you know, the, the uh, chain that the money flows down from somebody buying 
as a uh, a download or a, back then a CD or something like that wasn't there. So the industry went after it, and and then did actually get it closed down in court. But obviously, it was a whack-a-mole thing once hmm. that started because the idea was so good. Now there were these services services uh, spreading all over the place and. It's what eventually became iTunes. You know, Steve Jobs, I mm-hmm. think, was a guy who doesn't get enough credit for this, but was a guy looking at that going, that, that's a great idea, and the music industry is fighting it. Those need to get together. And that's basically what iTunes was. He provided a way for people to take advantage of a service like that but pay for it when they, when they got, uh, you know, downloaded a song or something. And, of course, that's now evolved to what streaming was. But between 99 and actually 2016, for that long, I mean, it, w- it was a uh, uh, an implosion of the music industry as we knew it. Uh, and many labels got shut down during that time. Staff laid off. I don't. I don't think we're the size that we were in, in say 2000. We're still not back up to that size as an industry. Uh, it just was it ransacked the industry and maybe in a way that needed to happen as we look back now. But, uh, uh, that's, that's the reason, uh, Benson, uh, well, it was the catalyst for it folding. We also weren't doing any good. We couldn't get any traction on anything and that didn't help. But, uh, it, you, once the people who owned it looked out you know, over the horizon, there just didn't seem to be any hope for that label and many others in town to, uh, like they they weren't going to make it. So obviously there's all these financial concerns that all labels have because they're businesses, even in Christian music, of course, and they have to find ways to pay for their, uh, you know, their employees and, and make a living just like any other business. So that wasn't going to happen. And that's why that got shut down. So when it happened, I had done some work with a producer up in Seattle, his name, uh, Scott Anderson, and Scott called, and, you know, it was a bit of a public thing when it got closed down because it had been around so long, and at some point in history it had such a good name. And it was kind of a big deal when I went over there because I left in the job I was at at EMI. And uh, at that time, you know, there was a lot of press, right? There were publications mm-hmm. and uh, more, a lot more print publications, and I'd done a bunch of interviews about why I was going over there, and two years later, you know, it's it shut down, so it, it was not a good story, but uh, he had heard about it, and uh, he called, and like, well, what are you going to do, and, and I, I'm like, I, honestly, Scott, I have no idea what I'm going to do, and I, I did assume, because of the way things were going in the music industry, that that would probably be the end of my journey in music, and i you know, I'd have to find something else to do. Uh, and uh, because so many labels were were going through the same thing and laying off staff, uh, that I, I got hired by a few labels to work independently for them. Like uh, people started outsourcing all the roles at the labels. So marketing was being outsourced and publicity and radio and and a, even A&R got outsourced a little bit. And I did some of that for a while. But Scott was like, well, I've, I uh, know a family up here that have paid for a recording that I produced on this girl named Jamie Jamgosian. I don't know if any of your uh, listeners would have heard of her. But she's still around. And she was a worship leader, leader up in Seattle. 
and they want to start a label and get her record out. And, and I'm like, Scott, there there could not be a worse idea. <laughs> Here's what's happening in the music industry. And just uh, tell them that and tell them, uh, you, know, you know, good for them that they're trying to support some local artists. But uh, terrible time to start thinking about starting a label. So that was our first conversation, Scott and I, that, he called back maybe a month later. I don't know. Like, well, they would love to come talk to you if you'd talk to them. And there was probably Austin a year or so of that. Of they would come to town. I would tell them these stories. Like, you don't want to do this. Trust me, uh, Mr. Lumery. And uh, I don't. I don't remember saying this, but he said that I said you could take your money and go to Vegas and have better odds <laughs> than if you started a Christian music record label. Uh, and I, I just did my best to, I, it didn't feel like a wise thing to do. These were just precious people who had come into uh, some money through building a sort of a tech company and selling it. And, you know, that they would want to do this with some of that money was was a precious idea and very ministry forward for them. But, uh, and it was, that's all they were thinking about was how could we, bless some of these local independent artists and maybe get some music on the radio and all that. And I, I, you know, I was around them enough after a while to, to pick up that they were really sincere in that, but just on the business side, it, it just didn't make any sense. So uh, I'm, I'm going to make a, a really long story short here sure. to, to say that at, at one point they came to town and said, well, we're going to do this. <laughs> you know, I, we appreciate what you're saying and it, it may all, come back on us but we just feel like this is what god wants us to do and if you can be our guy here in nashville to help us do it great but if you can't you know could you help us find somebody to do it and that was when you felt that little gnaw in your gut like well gosh i don't want to it's kind of crazy and dumb in a lot of ways but i don't want to miss something that god might be doing Mm -hmm. you know so uh again i could make this longer but this was probably in 2004 and we actually started with a little retreat because they owned this place up in Washington State that uh, was a fantastic uh, – uh, it's it's kind of in the foothills of the Cascades and just very inspiring, the location. And we spent some time up there talking about, well, what would it be and why would it be? And uh, I remember Andy Stanley uh, saying one time years ago that every great vision is born with a broken heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I don't – I don't think I knew what that meant at the time, but um, I had done all this work uh, over these years to this point with um, inside of a corporation, right? So Word, uh, Sparrow, Benson, they were all owned by these big entertainment corporations, and these labels were their, just their little Christian music outposts that they would buy and finance because that, that, you know, it generated enough income that they wanted to be in that business. It could have been jazz. It could have been uh, nursery rhymes as far as they were concerned, right? It was just a little active piece of the music industry, and they wanted their fingers in that. And that's n- no shame in that if you're running a corporation, right? right. But uh, obviously, if that's uh, – if you're – owned by stockholders and your motive is to make more money this quarter than you did last quarter, very hard for any ministry values to trickle down into that. So 
And, it, you, you know, even if you talk about it, it's hard for those people to understand things like that. That's And you wouldn't expect them to, or at least I finally got to that place that you don't expect them to. It's not saying that there aren't very good uh, Christ-centered men and women working in these organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the, the Christian music labels that these people would own. They're great people with great motives trying to bring it, uh, you know, to be, be successful. But at the end of the day for them, it's only a monetary concern. Like is, is that division making money for us this quarter? And if it's not, then we need to fix something. Our heads need to roll or we need to close it down or, or whatever it would be. That's just the way corporations think in America in a capitalist society. And again, I don't, I don't fault anybody for that. Sure. But sitting down with, uh, with the Lumrys and some of the people that worked with them at the time was the first time you ever got to imagine, well, if that wasn't the guiding concern, what could we dream about? What could we think about? What ministry values could we operate out of? Because we just can't. <laughs> You know, and they're just in our DNA right here from the beginning. And I'm telling you, Austin, that changed everything. I will tell you, and the, and they will tell you, I never expected it to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for all the people that, you know, belong to the you just got to believe it crowd, and, uh, you know, it'll come to pass if you just believe it. I never believed it. <laughs> and I would give it just kind of a, a year at a time. It just was so unconventional, and it, it didn't follow the typical model. And from a from just a pure business side, I think had times not been changing the way they were in the industry, it probably couldn't have worked. Mm. And then from a from a kingdom side, for whatever reason, God was giving us favor and blessing uh, in ways that you know, we couldn't have ever planned or tried to make happen. So those two things were sort of going on at the same time. But every, like literally often, I couldn't sleep at night for the excitement of these conversations we were getting to have. I didn't think they'd really go anywhere, but wow, it's so exciting to talk about. And like, uh, you know, just the ways we might be able to do things differently than all the ways I had done them before. I'll just give you an example. Like, uh, there's a phrase in the music industry that that is old. It comes from labels years ago called pop or drop. And everybody in the industry knows what that means. It means if you sign something, it needs to pop or you drop it. You know, it it needs to produce revenue or you get rid of it and go to the next thing. And and that's the culture that uh, so many big labels operate under it's kind of the the culture they have to operate under because you just can't keep investing in things that aren't making money for the organization so we were talking about that like uh you know what if you just keep going on something that's not making any money just because you believe in or you believe god's in it or there's a reason beyond just money that uh enables you to nurture something or try something different uh and I know we have done that to a fault, like especially from a business perspective. We have, like, a, we maybe do a record and it doesn't go anywhere and I can't get any traction on it. And you do another one, you do another one. I mean, that just doesn't happen in most, you know, music organizations because you can't afford to do that. And the Lumberies were just so generous in saying, if we believe in it, let's, and we have another idea, let's try it. 
And a lot, honestly, a lot of business consultants would have looked at that and gone, this is never going to work. You can't just keep doing this. And God would just favor those kinds of decisions, I think. And not always, you know, there were, sure. there were certainly things that didn't work and uh, we'd give it a few tries and have to move on. But uh, we certainly have that in our story and I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, uh, sugarcoat that, but there have been, there have been things that, uh, it like it didn't happen until like the fourth try, right? And I would sit back and go, they would have never gotten a second try at, at in a lot of the organizations I've been in, and I would understand why they wouldn't. But uh, that's just one example of the ways things were different from the very beginning and just part of our very foundation and DNA that we wanted to we wanted to actually care about the people and and their heart and their lives and their souls and their families as much as we did their music. Well, that's going to, that's going to manifest itself in way different, radically different ways uh, for a label than the way it's traditionally been done, you know, and there are other labels out there now. What's cool about this sort of ravaging of the music industry as it happened back in the two thousands, everybody had to rethink the way they were doing the music biz especially labels and publishers. So, you know, it's not unusual now to find labels that they really do care about the lives of their artists. Uh, But we just got to be kind of early on that as we begin to dream about centricity, and it's worked for us. So there you go. (laughs) Well, and that's one of the things, the more you read on centricity, you see that this constantly of... We wanted to do something. We wanted to be different. I read a quote of yours. We didn't, we didn't want to do it the typical way. Could we build something that was built on relationship first? Um, yeah. And, and, and do you think that that focusing on those relationships has helped um, you at Centricity to put out better music and better songs because you you maybe are better able to find the right producer or better able to find the mm-hmm. right songwriters to match with them. Mm-hmm. I, I want to think so, Austin. Um, you know, there's a lot to gain from just trial and error, right? Yeah. And uh, because you do care about these people and their families, you want to give it another try. And sometimes just the funnel gets more and more narrow and you realize, oh, we're the, we're on it now. Like we've, we've kind of figured out what we should be focusing on musically with this artist or their, their songwriting. So... I, I think that flows out of just the relational commitment to them, but I want to be careful to say not always, sure. right? Uh, uh, you can still know artists and your work with your with artists, none of them are the same. None of them have the same needs. None of them have the same processes. And the, the only guarantee you can make is like the thing that worked on the artist before, try that again, it won't work. Yeah, uh, that's really the only thing you can count on in the music industry. But what has worked for us is a commitment to who the people are as much as the music they make and mm-hmm. trying to uh, at least introduce kingdom concepts and ideas into the way that we do our work, the way that we live together as a staff, uh, the things that we say we believe in, that to actually live those things out. Not perfectly by any means, but it's our it's our that's our want to you know every day. Again, we're here with John Mays wrapping up with uh, John Mays, the VP of A and R of Centricity. 
musiccentricitymusic.com. John, we, I could go all day, um, but I don't want to <laughs> take much of your time. Can we end with some rapid fire real quick with you? Oh, I love rapid fire. All right. I'm terrible at it. Let's love go. it. All right. All right. Scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Depends on who you ask. If you ask Diane, she's going to go about a four. <laughs> I'm going to go an eight. There you go. What's something you could eat for a week straight? Mexican food, any any kind of Mexican food. What do you often eat it for a week straight? <laughs> do you order the same thing every time you go? No. no I'll rotate three or four things. There's a, there's a Mexican restaurant literally like 100 steps from our office. And so I'm there <laughs> six days a week usually, and I'll <laughs> rotate around the menu. Would you rather climb a mountain or jump from an airplane? Jump from an airplane. Favorite TV show growing up? Andy Griffith. There you go. Show. I'm, I got, and it kind of still is way up there. Time machine for one day. Where do you go? Oh, gosh. Probably. Some, this is where I start hating this stuff. Because there's, a, you know, a million there's so answers. many. But I'm going to go I'm going to go somewhere Old Testament like uh uh, I mean, <laughs> we can get into so much theology <laughs> here, but, but uh, some of the stories, like, uh, and I know some people would fall on the metaphor side and some the literal side, but like uh, uh, Adam and Eve, or uh, mm. can you imagine being standing there when that happened? Uh, or uh, I, like, I'm so enthralled with like, what was life like? What was a typical day like in uh, in ancient times and uh you know you as you read old testament your your mind has to make up these pictures and i would just love to be transported mm. maybe heaven will get to be that so someday for us like no just put me down on the street in a typical day i just want to see what it smelled like and what it actually looked like and how we were wrong about so many things yeah. <laughs> oh that's great uh would you go to the movies alone I have, yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, too. I love usually it. it's stuff that Diane does, doesn't care about seeing, you know. Favorite color? I'm going to go uh, like a tan kind of color because my Jeep is that color and I love it so much. Favorite movie? It's actually called it's actually called Gobi. Gobi? Uh, favorite color. <laughs> Gobi. G-O-B-E. Like the Gobi Gobi. Gobi. All right. Yeah. All right. Favorite movie? Uh, Saving Private Ryan. What color is your toothbrush? Blue. Something you hate that everyone else loves. Coffee. Really? I mean, that flavor can mess up anything. Ice cream. What what a horrible thing to do to ice cream. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, my parents were big coffee drinkers, and my kids are big. Coffee. It just skipped me somehow, and I just I can. Only, I'm good with the smell when you walk in a coffee shop, but I hate the way it tastes. You know, I don't disagree with you. I'll drink it, but I don't love really? it. Yeah, I'll drink it, but I don't love it. But you don't hear that often, so <laughs> it's it's good to find another brother out there that, that feels the same way. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I can't even drink it like that. Just, I've tried it, but and everybody's like, oh, well, you need to try. You, you need to put this in it and that. Well, that's not really coffee by that, that time. Either. Well, that's the only stuff I drink. If it tastes nothing like coffee, then I'll drink the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like... People who tell you you got to eat fish because it doesn't taste like fish. We're like, well, neither does a beef and salada, so I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> oh, geez. John Mays, VP of A&R's and Tristy Music, centristymusic.com. John, you've been so gracious. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for Thank being a part today. We'll see you down the line. 
Sounds great. Thanks, Austin. Thanks. You've been listening to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College, a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. And you can reach the show at behindthetunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go Behind the Tunes. <laughs>